Hello and welcome to the Stoked on Spokes podcast. 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 Wait, like SOS? Well, it's about fight, rides, gear, races, community, and so much more. This is the Stoked on Spokes podcast. Let's get rolling. Hello and welcome to the 29th episode of the Stoked on Spokes podcast. Today we are joined by Stephen Hyde and Curtis White. Gentlemen, how are you doing today? Morning. Everything's going really well. So for people who don't know who you are, can you please introduce yourself and give your bicycle background? My name is Curtis White. I am currently 26, 27 next year, cyclocross age 28. So we're going to make it out of the gate complicated. I've been racing bikes since I was a young junior, climbed through the ranks, national team member for the last nine seasons, raced with the Cannondale Cyclocross World professional cyclocross team. I was a teammate of Stephen Hyde's. We were able to do some pretty cool stuff on, on the bike, in the dirt over the last few seasons. I, I, I don't know. It's like, it, it's a kind it's a more of a complicated answer where it's, yeah, I just, you know, I love racing bikes and I've been doing it for a long time, but the amount of connections and races or experiences that I've been able to have over course of my career has been pretty incredible so it's and steven's been one of those good guys that i've been able to learn from and that's the segue into steven's intro <laughs> yeah you missed miss a lot of his history there though i mean the kid kid had a long run on on hot tubes for a really long time and jelly belly as well right and awesome mm-hmm. he's got a got a hell of a road career and talked about so that's cool my name is steven hyde i am now retired so i don't have to speak in terms of cyclocross age thankfully i have been racing on the road cyclocross mountain for the last 10 years professionally programs like Estella's Pro Cycling, um, Jam, which is where I started, and Estella's Pro Cycling, Silence and Cycle, Cannondale Cycle World. Uh, yeah, I've kind of done it all in, in that regard, but I was able to pick off a few national championships, some Pan American championships as a world's team member for probably about the same amount of time as uh, Curtis over there. And now I've moved into a private coaching role with Fred Endurance, uh, USA Cycling National Team. Uh, coach as well that's really cool obviously you two have a pretty close relationship but do you remember the first time that you met it was probably bumping bars in a race and us yelling at each other how old because, you because, guys were i don't know I was <laughs> may, maybe 19 20 and i just tried to squeeze through a space that wasn't there <laughs> i remember curtis like before you know when he was still racing like the the junior races um and i would go you know i would be at some of the uci races or something and or you know something like nbx or something like that and i would see mm-hmm. hot tubes kit and you know new white family was there but I, yeah I just i remember watching him and him getting to go to europe as a kid and seeing kind of how that translated and how it kind of made him stand out but actually meeting you i, I don't i don't necessarily remember it probably was in a race or we talked after a race or something like that because we were just kind of around right mm-hmm. and i think it's like like everybody you kind of no, like, you know, Lizzie, right? Like, we're just kind of like all around each other all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> I don't like, think that I remember the first time that I met you guys. Yeah. It was just kind of, kind of just happened. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, then, and then, of course, we all ended up on, on the same program. So, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, small world. Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of the, the, the special part about kind of the cycling community is that it's it feels like we've all known each other for so long or we've been seeing each other on every weekend or every other weekend, whether it's not just at the cyclocross races, but during the spring and summer at 
road races or mountain bike races or you know now gravel events it, it feels like this yeah it's a little traveling circus but a bit of a you know an extended family where we knew each other we knew of each other before we were teammates and then to spend so many years on the same program and learning from each other beyond that was it's definitely something that's pretty cool for sure yeah i, I think it doesn't hurt also that we're all new england based you know I, i'm not a under but you guys are and so i think it was really just kind of an interesting thing to end up on a very new england heavy program have kind of access to each other all the time and have have a little bit of that in common right so it's like we go to like the local mountain bike race and lizzie's there and you know we go to the crits and, and curtis is there or road races or whatever and so we and then we all end up like in europe together you know mm -hmm. it's a really really it's a really unique environment a really unique situation so i'm pretty yeah it's I'm like a big family it's definitely like a big yeah. family we've had a lot of conversations like alan and i doing these interviews and one of the things that people focus on the most is how they enjoy the community within the yeah. sport it's a really special thing yeah so i, I just it, it's just a really interesting kind of dynamic of of you, you you get to see you know you kind of create these relationships on like a local level uh in your kind of region but to be able to just like fly into a totally different part of the country and like hang out with each other and it's totally normal and you just instantly have that bit of community with you that's super familiar and you can just kind of rely on people right it's like oh we already have this connection we you know when it's weird we can talk about it and you know like when when the situation is just uncomfortable like you're in a, just a weird place or like everything's hard or the weather's crappy or you're the only people that speak english it's, it's just a cool it's a cool opportunity to have have friends with you and i really feel like you you get to i don't know because of that you, you have like an unspoken bond right like where you just you're automatically like oh yeah we did a bunch of really cool stuff together and at the time it didn't it might have seemed cool individually but looking back on it it was really cool that we got to do it together and it's not something we all planned like hey let's all go to europe together <laughs> somebody else made the plans for us and we just happened to to vibe along with it so it was really cool can you talk about your time at cannondale cyclocross world yeah i think curtis were you i can't remember who was there longer if you i think had come I, over from the devo program I, I wasn't on the devo program but my first year under 23 i signed with the team the pro team and my teammates at the time it was tim johnson ryan chabone and katie Antino, formerly now Keo. It was a great squad to learn from. I mean, those are the the biggest figures in the sport at the time, and to to have those teammates as mentors was pretty cool. But I was definitely the young buck that a lot of racers were, you know, getting after, just like you know, kind of you know, punching above my weight almost, kind of like, hey, look, you can't pull that move yet, or you know, hey, you're killing it the first two laps, and then you're outside the top ten in the finish. What's up with that? So it took a lot of climbing through the ranks and trying to figure out my role or, or what my strengths were as an athlete, how to best race these races and kind of figure out the flow of it. And then I believe it was, you know, a year or so later, Hyde came onto the program and, you know, another tremendous teammate and mentor to learn from, you know, and when he was, he came onto the program, he was already, was it your first year, second at nationals in Asheville? Was that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like already at a really high level. So it was immediately anyone that was around that program was very easy to look up to and learn from, you know, and it was a really tight knit team, I feel like. Yeah, that was a that was a really interesting time, too, because it was the time of like a lot of transition where the year that I came on, I had actually gotten an offer to do a guest ride the year prior because Tim was injured 
with back issues and Ryan broke his back. Stu offered me a position to do a couple of races. I think just the big New England block because I think it was down to me or Lucas Winterberg because either right. we had to fit on Tim's bikes or Ryan's bikes. That, that was the stipulation. <laughs> we had to be like good enough to get a podium and had to fit on Ryan's or Tim's bike. <laughs> I feel like it was way yeah. easier to find someone that could fit Tim's bikes than Ryan's bike. For sure. Ryan's I don't know how he massive. was able to find Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, we had to import one from Switzerland, you know. Wow. Lucas was Lucas Winterberg was was a Swiss rider and he was coming over and racing and doing really well. In fact, he was actually my main rival. So we were we were kind of fighting for was like the same spot at every single race. You know, I had a good ride on on Jam and I wanted to finish that that period out and uh, we were going to do the same races. You know, so I didn't want to change anything. And I think Lucas was kind of struggling being over here on his own and it was a good fit. I turned that down, which I was just immediately just like, oh my God, did I just turn down a spot on Cannondale? That was so dumb. But I think, you know, when I brought it to him and I was like, look, I, I owe these guys a lot. They've done a lot for me. I really want to make sure that I, I, I pay this back, you know? And it was really cool because then, then the next year I went to Europe on my own. It spent two months, two and a half months in Europe, just like by myself, which was an experience. And then I came back at nationals. I rolled my ankle in, in Austin and had a sprain. And re, you guys remember the stairs in Austin? Like those, those oh, yeah. crappy limestone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh my God. It was awful. I had like this super swollen, hurt ankle. And I had to run up those yeah. things. I literally didn't run until race day at all. And I was like, I'm just going to see what works. But then I got an interview that year that at Nationals, you know, got my spot the following year. And I think part of that was like, hey, cool. You seem like you have integrity because, you know, you, although it kind of pissed me off, you turned down our spot. You know, at least you did it for like a good reason. It wasn't like, mm-hmm. you know, oh, I'm going to get more money somewhere else. Yeah. But so it was just really interesting coming in because it was really big shifts. Like Tim had retired. We're not officially yet, but had, had you know, resigned from the team. Curtis is on. Katie was like queen of the program for sure. Been there for so long already. But then Ryan was still there, but was like kind of marginal in terms of his health. You know, he had like broken vertebrae that he was trying to get over. So like sometimes he'd be good, sometimes he'd be bad. You know, most of the time he was grumpy. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember them being like, I remember them being like, hey, um, so are you cool with Ryan? I'm like, yeah, I love Ryan. They're great. Like, okay, could you be his roommate? Because I think Curtis is having a hard time being his roommate. <laughs> I was like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, that's too good. Yeah. No, it was definitely one of those things rooming with Ryan was like a baptism by fire almost. <laughs> Again, I, I'm, I'm in the same boat. I, you know, I, I love that guy. He's, he's, you know, he was a great mentor and he's given a lot to the sport and he's, you know, a tremendous yeah. dude. But yeah, it was, he's one of those old school racers that just like, you know, grumpy he, you as know, hell. Yeah. Like <laughs> nose on the grindstone type. Yeah. You always just go harder. Yeah. yeah. Just go hide a kid. That's all you got to do. Yeah. But it was really cool though. Cause we were on that program. It was just a big it was just a big shift, you know, and, and I think that it gave us all a little bit more freedom to kind of be, I don't know, just like kind of put, put some pressure on ourselves and kind of try to do it, a, you know, with help, but also a little bit on our own with a little bit more freedom than kind of having everybody just right on top of you, mm-hmm. telling you what to do all the time or, you know, just giving you, you know, advice is great and mentorship is awesome, but sometimes you kind of need to figure a little bit of it out on your own. Yeah, it was just an interesting time. Lizzie, when did when did you start on that program? Year wise, I'm try. I think 2018 was my first season with them because 2017 was Hartford Nationals, 
And I was a little, I was like 13 years old. So it was the year after that, because it was the year that we had two nationals in one year. We had Reno and then Louisville. And Louisville, I was in a Cannondale jersey. And that was like yellow that year. It was an interesting kit. But yeah, I mean, I was on this team for, I mean, more or less three seasons, minus COVID, three or four seasons. So it's pretty much all I've really known, I guess, in the cyclocross scene besides my junior team AP junior development I mean it was previously Bay Hill I mean Curtis you were on that for a couple of years when you were little mm-hmm. that's pretty much like the the New England starter development right. program like the Midwest Evo of New England I'd say so mm-hmm. yeah it was a really cool transition because I think that when I was on the team my first year who was on it was you, you guys were on the pro team and was Emma still on for one more season or no I think Emma that was her last before that 2017 was like her last season i think yeah i'm not i'm not entirely certain when she stepped away and started to move more towards the track mm-hmm. but thinking maybe about it was Evo katie, riders, like, two katie's both katie's that t- that year katie klaus and katie keo yeah mm-hmm. oh yeah yeah that's right yeah exactly so yeah. it was a definitely a big transition time i feel like for the elite team and the development program we had a lot of really phenomenal riders on the development program that year i know Lane was still riding for the team. Sam Knoll, maybe also as well. And then when we had Miles and AJ come in as like a feeder to the development program, because they were still, I think, less than 17. So it was a pretty cool squad I, when I joined yeah. that team. I mean, all, everyone you everyone you just named is like currently on the national team. You know? Yeah, hitters except, for sure. Right. Except for mm-hmm. Emma, who's just doing her thing. Right. <laughs> doing her thing. <laughs> yeah. So I think it's really interesting. Uh, I think one thing I was really excited to talk to you guys about was like my history in racing is like fairly limited. Like I'm 35 now, raced for 10 years. I didn't get my first, you know, I didn't get my pro contract until I was 25 or 26. Mm-hmm. And I didn't start racing until my like early 20s. I rode BMX before that. I did some like, you know, local, I did like a local mountain bike race and then, you know, had some stuff that you know, later, I guess in my like early 22, 23, 24, I did some like amateur racing and stuff, but then I kind of went like, and then just like second cross was the gap that was the, mm-hmm. was the bridge for the gap that I needed to go from like a super amateur to somehow being a professional. But like both of you have been racing since you were like little itty bitty. bitty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how, how do you, I don't know, like what's, I, I don't even know what that's like. Like I, I, I mean, was, Curtis and yeah, Curtis and I both had a family thing around it. I don't know if you can, yeah. th- like having siblings in the sport, that's definitely a very different way to get introduced to it. I mean, you were kind of introduced to the sport through other disciplines. Like I started with BMX with my brother, but only because we were too young to race cross. And then once we were in it, we were doing the kids races at noon, the cub junior races, staying in our kit, riding around all day, like. It was, it was almost our life outside of school. I mean, I don't know if you could kind of say the same thing, Curtis. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. It, it was, I was the oldest of five kids and it, I think my parents were looking for a way to kind of keep a very loud household together and engaged for a weekend. Bike racing was a really easy way to kind of keep everyone. And I mean, we would go to a race and they would just say, okay, run around the park. It was, mm-hmm. I mean, it was a pretty good environment. We knew most everyone there and, you know, we'll see in six hours after the races are done, you know, and, and Lizzie, I think you're talking a little bit more about the 
initial development team you're on, the AP development team. Back when I was on it, it was CL Noonan. Before, run, run by, even before Bay Hill. Wow. Before Bay Hill. Yeah. Wow. But it, it was, there were, the one thing I'm very grateful for was that, well, I got into cycling, you know, through the local Albany, New York club, Capital Bicycle Racing Club, CBRC. And it was just very, it was a very easy introduction and transition to cycling and knowing where the events were, where group rides were. And I was fortunate enough to be around a group of riders that were willing to kind of teach me the ropes and learn how to ride to a breast or in a pace line or all these, you know, just basic riding etiquette and knowing where the races were. And then New England had a really strong structure where we had multiple development teams for young athletes to go to a couple of different race series to look for. And there were races that were willing to put effort into, you know, the junior categories. And there was that development pipeline there, which for that, it's just, it, I, looking back now, I have a much deeper appreciation for all the effort that's gone into that. And just that structure, because it's without those structures, I wouldn't be in the sport where I am today. And it really did cast a, it felt like it cast a pretty big net to just get these younger kids into the system to where Hyde, I think, you know, I'd like to hear you talk a little bit more about this later on, but your new role mm -hmm. with the national team with USA cycling and kind of what the vision is for the national team. But it just, it seems like there's, we just had the world championships in the U S now twice in the last 10 years. Like that's, that's so so cool to me and you know i think there are a lot of young athletes that take pride in that and when i was a young junior i we didn't have worlds in the u.s yet meaning young meaning a cub junior but you know when i was 16 i found out that the worlds were coming to louisville and that was like all right all that effort's going to be going into a world championship on home soil and you could just see that that, that there was a pretty logical development pipeline from where we were in new england to that it seemed attain, attainable that's a great segue. I mean, Stephen, you want to talk a little bit about your new role, your thoughts yeah. on it, your your goals for it, everything. Yeah. Well, it's funny, but I'll just kind of add to that a little bit before I get into that. A Worlds here in Louisville was this really interesting thing for me because I had done my first kind of elite year in cyclocross and had gotten points to go to nationals for the first time, and I went to nationals, and I was like half mechanic for jam, half uh, also racing, you know, drove the van out with, with my coach and stuff like that. And I didn't even finish the race. It was, just, it was a total disaster. But but I went to Worlds then. I drove down on my way to, I drove there, hung out, and then drove down to Florida afterwards. But like, I just remember doing my first year as an elite, going to that and going, wait, oh, I could do this. Like, oh, I could go to Worlds. I could be on the national team. I could, and I remember like it just like kind of clicking and sinking. I, literally, I was just there on the course watching and thinking, oh man, I think I might actually have a shot at this, or at least now I have something to like strive for. You know, it was really, really cool. So to have it come back, you know, for me, that was going to be my last world and not being able to do it, you know, just having the kind of season that I had and the way it kind of worked out and my body just not participating anymore in the way that I wanted to it was just like a really weird hard time to kind of transition to being on the sidelines um, I mean I you know I told you guys when I was there I was like look you know how much I want to be you know between the tape mm -hmm. and I really meant it you know I, I got a really very emotional several times that that trip more so the closer I got to the race so that was kind of the what helped me make that decision was a call from Jesse Anthony at Falmouth at really Radfest he called me 
you know, he was like, hey, kind of hoping you're ready to retire. <laughs> you know, not like a push, but kind of hoping you're ready to retire. I want you to come work with us. You know, I think you're a good fit for this. And maybe what we can do is give a tryout at Worlds and have you come in and be, you know, the, the coach for, for Worlds. And you'll have help and, you know, we'll, we'll just kind of set it up to where you can, you can do your thing. You can interact with the athletes and you can impart the knowledge that you have, you know. And, like, it was just this other thing that clicked, you know, then that was like, oh, I guess I can still go. I can still do it. I can still be a part of it. In fact, I can maybe even have a bigger impact than if I go race, have a super mediocre to bad race. You know, even if I got, like, my bucket list race and I check it off, you know, I was top 10 or something like that. Still, you know, that's only for me. You know, that doesn't really do anything for anyone else. So actually being able to go and, and have that role there where I was able to just be there for all of you and remember all those times that I didn't have the support, you know, or that I just didn't have somebody that was that was really listening or that had had the real experience of being there and knew what it was like to have the kind of pressure on your on your shoulders. And so I just like kind of fell into that and I was like, oh, wow, this is amazing. You know, this is this is this is better than getting on the line and i'll tell you i was so stressed out that whole time you know just like once once we got there like once you i was fine 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 you know just in my element talking to you guys long-winded me getting into the details but then like y'all were on the line and it was just like cold sweat and i like i just went into a panic you guys left and i was just like all over the course i was just running around i was like looking and you know checking time splits and all that stuff while everyone else i was working with was just standing there you know like totally in control they're like we've done this before i just freaking out (laughs) (laughs) so that really kind of like that lit the fire under me a lot of reasons you know my career isn't over it's kind of just starting maybe so you were able to, to work out a full-time position at, at, at USC Cycling, which I believe is the first cyclocross, cyclocross coach full-time position there has been, right? So it's always been an interim coach for, for world championships or world cups or something like that. Somebody will come in and either volunteer their time or, you know, we've had some awesome, awesome athletes come in and do that. But with, with Jesse taking over both the cyclocross and the mountain bike program as the off-road manager, not just the cyclocross manager, it opened up you know, room underneath. And with his experience there, you know, it was just kind of a a great opportunity to slide in and to learn slowly and to have a really good foundation, having the crew that we have. I mean, having Jim Miller back as as head of sports performance. And it was very easy to sign on and say like, oh, I have really good support now. It's just like, it was, it was just like signing onto a team, you know, like making that jump from amateur to a pro and thinking like, okay, what's my best support network? How can I do this job the best? You know, it's you look at somebody like Sue's program, you know, Cyclocross World, and you think, oh, they have everything I need. Like, oh, if I, you know, if I need help with this, this there's this person. And if I need help with this, there's this person. There's mentorship. There's support. There's, you know, everything you need. And the USAC position has been the same thing. And I feel like, you know, I can't speak for the overall overall mission of and, and goals of the program because you know just kind of starting with it for you know more or less and dipping my toes and really my long-term vision you know i i really believe that we can have world champion athletes no doubt in my mind we have to structure our support systems differently we obviously have interest in racing in the u.s we in terms of like actually getting races here world-class races we have the infrastructure to do it but we're also on a bit of a downswing in terms of of racing domestically in general, right? I think you look at the calendar right now, it's a, it's a really 
kind of a sad state, but we still have some staple races and we still have staple riders and we have an opportunity to do a lot with them. We still have really talented riders. And furthermore, we have very talented riders in the pipeline. And I think we have a lot of interest coming from the, you know, that, that larger youth net that's been cast that we're pulling in just tremendous amounts of, of talent. And, you know, that cream will eventually rise to the top for sure. So my, my goal with this program is to like put together opportunities to have, have one-on-one time with these athletes and put effort into the athletes before the races, not at the races. You know, obviously we, we've done a very good job from support system style. I mean, looking at what we did at world championships and how well everything came together, you know, the staff that we had was just unbelievable. The infrastructure that we had was unbelievable. And that was not just USA cycling. That was the cyclocross community as a whole kind of coming together mm-hmm. to, to put support in from Alpha's trailer to Stu bringing our RV in and all that stuff. And just everything, all, all the like top mechanics that we had coming in and working in the physios and, and coaches and everything. So my dream is that if we can take that kind of support and drop it in at strategic times throughout the year, allow these, these athletes to have access before we get to the events. So they have more of an understanding of what they're getting into, more of an understanding on how to prep specifically for like World Cup style racing and, and world level racing. And then we have a, a chance to grow, right? So then you have this opportunity to like see them over and over and over. And hey, I'm gonna see you at the World Cups. Let's put that into action, the plans that we talked about at the camps, you know? And then from that, like, okay, we worked on this at the camp. We came to the World Cup. It didn't work out like you thought, like, let's take action. Let's think about it now and start taking action the next time, you know, we have availability, the next camp, you know, whatever that may be. Or if athletes want to reach out directly and say like, hey, I want to work on this, help me. Help me and my coach and my support network, you know, fill these gaps in. Yeah, I think that we can go, it, it, it doesn't take you know, a lot to make that happen. It just, it just takes the right people and the right energy and nailing everybody down. I mean, I mean, we have, we have a camp coming up. Well, I guess this will probably be, this will come out afterwards, mm-hmm. you know, September uh, 8th to the 15th, we have 17 riders, which I just is double the amount that I, I anticipated for sure. All coming to East Hampton, you know, I think it's going to be a really great opportunity to actually see these athletes before the season even starts. Um, yeah. So my goal is to continue to do stuff like that and, 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 and also be with, be with the athletes in the times that need it. And in terms of at the races and at the big events, because I really, I really, really, really believe that we have, we have the right athletes and we have a good infrastructure and we can get, we can get podiums, you know, we can get world champions for sure. Hi, that, that that's really interesting. I just want to jump in quick and kind of talk a little bit about how, yeah, I'm really excited for this national team camp coming up. I think it's a really unique opportunity and one of the first opportunities that kind of the collective, well, elite level, but like the higher level national team level athletes have had to all come together preseason to train with the focus of preparing for the U.S. World Cup. So the, the, the initial C1s of the season over the last few years, you know, in East Hampton area, you and the Jam Fund have been getting together cross skill sessions that I've joined here and there, or when I've gone out to training camps in Boulder, trying to coordinate with Scott Funston and Eric Bruner, or there's, there's been these little pockets here and there of guys coming together to prepare, but to get the collective national team level 
together with that focus of preparing for the World Cup level or the C1s or the initial you know, races of the season is going to be really huge. And I, I, my hope is that this is something that we can grow on at the national team level and just kind of getting people together to, to learn from. Because it's, I think athletes in general are like this, but especially with cyclocross, we really do rely on other athletes to learn from and grow with. Like it's, you know, you indicated earlier that there is a lot of work that needs to be done individually. Like, yeah, there's some stuff that we all need to learn or figure out on our own. But it's something I thought was really cool was, you know, when you were at your peak, you were off at, you know, in Calpe at a training camp with Walt Van Aert. Or you've done training sessions with other Euro-based teams. And I've done a couple of training sessions with, with Belgian cyclocross teams. And I feel like those sessions are so valuable for us as individuals to learn from. I felt like when I, you know, whenever I would do a session like that, I'm like, oh, holy shit. Like there are like a couple dozen things that I'm going to bring back home. And I need to write this down as soon as possible. So to have that collective group, that national team group to come together preseason it's it's something I'm really excited about. So I, I I'm really excited about the direction that that's going in. I've always you know I've always been adamant that you know one one should never be the best person in the room, right? Like you should always mm -hmm. you know not be the smartest guy in the room. You should not be mm -hmm. the strongest one. You know what I mean? Like it's it, it's always about kind of finding somebody that can push you, that is going to challenge you, but not you know demoralize you. And I think it's a it's a really it's a great opportunity to have, you know, when you have a big, the, the bigger group you have, the more variation on the level that you have, right? And so you don't have just like three people that are just so much better than everybody else, or, you know, you don't have all these like super fractured groups. You have a really, you know, stepped environment where multiple people can kind of like both find that they're in the same arena you know they're in the same same area of either fitness or skill or whatever and they can work together to work to be this group and to be with this group and to be with this group and then and so on and so on and it'll just continue to do that as long as we have the opportunity to get everyone together like that mm -hmm. however what i'm finding is that it's very difficult to get everyone in the same place because you know several reasons one geography it's huge i've got athletes coming in for, on on red eyes you know, I think we were the best thing we could have done is put it exactly where it is because it's the week before the first race for the USCX. But that also happens to coincide with like a lot of people's first couple weeks in school. And we have a bunch of junior athletes, right? Like Lizzie, and it, it's very difficult to, or junior U23s. We, we obviously want to prioritize their like education and their, you know, their health and their time. But so, so we have to figure out ways to like get them at some point. <laughs> yeah, not this year though. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Or if there's opportunities throughout the year, you know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. where where can we kind of place them? Like, where are we geographically that everyone's going to have to be put? You know, stay put for a week. Can we do it there? You know, it might not be the ideal scenario. Like, say between the World Cups mm -hmm. in November. Yeah, it's not the ideal place to like wear everybody out. So maybe we have a different plan. Like maybe we don't wear everybody out. Maybe we keep everybody really sharp. Maybe that's an opportunity to check back in on those things that we worked at at the beginning of the season camp. And we can just, you know, talk theory and we can work on all this stuff, you know? One thing that I've noticed is that the more group interaction that we have, the more the athletes themselves 
engage in the process, the more progress we see as a whole. So yeah, if it's a we, team effort for sure. It's a total team effort. But when you have everyone coming in from around the country and they're just thrown in at somewhere like world championships, it's a big deal. Like it's everyone's bringing not just their, not just themselves, their personalities, but they're also bringing their, like their fears and their anxieties and all those things that kind of like wrap up and, or their, their, you know, excitement, whatever it may be, you know, people act different in those situations because of that. So how do we get some like lower, you know, some low key situations to, to get people to kind of connect and, or how do we turn those high pressure situations into something a little bit more comfortable? And I think that starts with getting, getting people familiar with one another. And, you know, I, I've told everyone on the, on the national team multiple times, and I really stand by this. Is I really want to see this as a, a, a team that you're a part of year round and that it's not something that you just kind of show up for because you have to, you know, to, it's mandatory to do the world championships or if you're a U23 or a junior, you know, in order to do a world cup that you, you look forward to it and, and you can rely on your teammates. Last year, it felt like it was the first year of those, uh, the, the, the juniors racing around with the USA kits throughout the season. Is that something that's going to continue? Oh, with on? the Olympic development. Oh, the, oh, yeah, the, yeah Olympic. the ODA. Okay. Yeah. The ODA is something that's going to continue for sure. So that the ODA is a separate program from the national team, right? Okay. The ODA is a concept of essentially national team level support, you know, coaching, mechanics etc or even you know trade team level support more or less on a scholarship or pay to pay pay to play program right i mean everybody has to find the support somehow i think the way they're doing it is you know offering a really consistent product for kids to get in and and see what it's like and have the support so far i think it's actually been really effective I don't have anything to do with that program. In fact, I'm, I'm very loosely affiliated with it, except for U.S. Cycling. But it seems to be, I, I don't know, it seems to have filled a big gap in support for a lot of people. And it continues to be very popular. So we'll, we'll see what the success is with it long term. You know, it, it's hard because, like, with we're not in Europe, right? We're not. And we're never going to be, it's never going to bridge, we're never going to bridge that gap. And the reality is that the experience needed to race in Europe where all the best biggest races are. And that's just also the reality of it. There's a huge gap in how to get there, how to get your support there, how to operate in that environment. And I think what we've seen over time is that like just taking elite riders or even U23s and throwing them in and being like, okay, perform on that promise, you know, that, that we saw all that, you know, talent. If there's a huge learning curve, you know, it's, two, three, four years to get it, you know, to, to even remotely get it right, if if that, you know. So the, the younger we can get these athletes in there, you know, the better off we're going to be. And so a program like that, which is mo- much lower stakes than, say, the national team, you know, getting over and doing your first races in Europe on the national team or a trade team where you have all these expectations, you know, it's it's a, I, I think it could be a, a game changer, you know. And, and programs like, you know, you're a cross camp academy, you know, what, what Jeff's doing mm-hmm. over there with all that same thing, you know, it, it allows people the opportunity to get over there, a more low stakes environment, get that, get that racing, that travel, you know, everything that one needs to have a long-term progression out of the way, you know, and, or under their belt, not out of the way, under the belt. Was, it's important. was this the first year they did one also in New England besides Montana? And I believe Curtis was with that, right? 
Yeah, uh, Eurocross Academy. This is their second camp second. in Vermont. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the structure is, as of right now, there's a Montana camp and a Vermont camp. Roughly 30 kids come, about 15 boys, 15 girls. And it's all development categories from, you know, 15 to 20, roughly. And it, it's a really cool format where there's three training sessions a week, or sorry, three training sessions a day. We start off with a morning running and body circuit training, then late morning skills session, afternoon endurance training, and then a evening classroom session. Towards the end of the week, we try not to disclose this early on, but towards the end of the week, a lot of the, the kids are like, is this an average week of training? What is this? This is, <laughs> this is difficult. We, we call it hashtag hard camp, but at the end, we're like, no, this isn't a normal week of no. training. We just have a very a short window, a very condensed window to kind of impart everything that we're trying to teach. So it's, it's a very dense camp, but it's, it's a cool way to get young athletes around their peers before the season and learning from, there's always been a component of bringing pro athletes to coach those camps. I think Lizzie, you coached yeah. the Montana camp, right? Oh, it was so cool because yeah. I mean, I've been to Montana as a camper three times. Like Jeff invited me the first year he had a women's camp and it was under 23 and I was 14 years old. And I sent him an email because my brother was going to the uh, guide camp because at that time he had him separated by gender. I emailed him and I told him, I was like, I'm so excited that you're finally having a women's Montana cross camp. Like I cannot wait until I'm old enough to attend. And then he sent me an email back and he was like, well, why don't you just come this year? So it's kind of, it was, it was really interesting to be able to kind of go from that mentee to mentor role at such a young age. You know, I'm 19 years old. There were some campers there that were a year younger than me. So it was just, I had a bit of imposter syndrome, I'd say the first, the first couple of days, but I realized that there was something really powerful behind me being so close to them in age and very relatable. And I think that there was a really big there was, there was a lot of connection between the coaches and campers more than I had probably ever seen when Raylan and I were coaching the, the kids there. It was, it was really, really cool. And honestly, I feel like it kind of changed my perspective and gave me something a little bit bigger to look forward to in the sport of cycling. Like it made me realize that I have a lot more goals than just result driven. So it was really cool for me. That's awesome to hear that you got that out of there. Cause quite honestly, like teaching and mentoring absolutely changed the way that I look at my so career cool. in this huge way. And then just opened up so many opportunities for me to learn. I personally think that everyone should have the opportunity to be in that position at a young age and, you know, as many times as they can throughout their career, whether they kind of like, whether they're into it or not, you know, I think some yeah. people just aren't, they're just not into it. That, and that's fine. They don't, they don't want to be the person, you know, guiding, but in my experience, the opportunity to learn by teaching is just like tenfold from doing. I mean, you you really Agreed. slow it down. You really have to be, and you have to listen, and you have to be open to being wrong and to, to knowing, you know, to learning all these new things from other people. It can be very humbling standing up there being like, oh, I'm the, the big elite rider, and here I am with these kids. And then you're just like, oh man, that kid just absolutely did, just blew my mind. <laughs> you know, and you're like, cool. I, that's something I know now. <laughs> it's cool. It so, is really, really special. Yeah. And we need that. We need athletes that are willing to keep pushing that forward, right? Because, I mean, it's not going to – we're, we're going to lose interest in progressing in as a sport if, if people don't have that opportunity. Because, you know, I, I see that there's less and less people willing to take on the big jobs, you know, because for, for a lot of reasons. 
right? Like, A, you know, who who can in, in this economy, you know, who can afford to like do all this stuff out of passion, you know, anymore? And what's the passion for, you know, and if our if we're not seeing the return on it right away, you know, it's 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 one of those things where like we're constantly gonna have to keep reimagining what our sport looks like forever. That's just that's just mm-hmm. the the natural progression of it. It's like it's gonna go through walls and it's gonna build walls and build walls and build peaks, et cetera. And it's got to take new, like fresh perspectives and, and people pulling in at just the right moment and saying like, you know what, I'm actually, uh, I see a better opportunity for me doing this than racing, you know, or building a team than racing or coaching than racing or running, you know, a youth program or whatever. Curtis, can you talk about your new chapter in cycling? I don't know. Lizzie, can we talk about this well your, your your change i guess your shift um hopefully yeah. you're you're trying not to be the you know the bridesmaid in the in the upcoming nationals like you've been the last three years but has yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's so it, it this year has definitely been a big transition year you know i think with you know the unfortunate folding of cannondale cyclocross world that was something that mm-hmm. yeah it, it was a surprise and shock to me but i think also to the rest of the cycling community but with that provides opportunity. I was able to spend this last spring and summer racing on a road team with the best buddies racing team, doing a lot of the the road races and crits at the national level, which for me was a phenomenal experience, great team environment, but that also was, it, it reminded me of why I loved racing bikes. Uh, at this level, it was it was the relationships and the, the the camaraderie and pushing each other to that higher level and getting that motivation that you probably wouldn't be able to find solo or having a privateer program. So it was just it, it at its core. This the last you know six months was all about reminding myself why I love to perform at a high level, why I am a, a results oriented person when it comes to racing. You know, with, like I said, it's a new chap. You know, I'm really by the time this episode comes out, this will be news. You know, I'm really excited to start a new chapter with the Steve Tilford Foundation off-road racing team. Lizzie and I will be teammates again, yeah. which I'm excited about. Yeah, it's it's going to be a really exciting chapter for the upcoming season. And it's it's a new transition because for the last oh, however many seasons, nine seasons, maybe eight or nine, having routines with certain teammates or the staff like Mike Barry has been uh, wrenching on my bikes for a number of years. And for so many seasons, there's been so much that's just intuitive. We don't have to touch base every single day about what we're going to be doing with tire. The amount of times that we've come into a race and Mike has just guessed the tire pressure and tires mm-hmm. <laughs> before I tell him what I want is just, it, the success rate is pretty high. So it's, and you just get that after, you know, developing a really good working relationship with someone you know, understanding their routines, their working process, asking a million questions and having someone taking the time to teach you and then just forming that connection. You know, even though that they, the mechanics weren't between the tape with us racing, they were teammates in the regard of there was so much communication that needed to happen before the race and during the race, just to kind of, and, and even, ha- you know, in the middle of the race, when you're, you're, heart rate's at 190 and you're trying to communicate what you're what you want to change your tire pressure to or if 
something's clicking on your bike, how to communicate that in the middle of the race or when you're changing your bike and just saying, I just want a clean bike or whatever is going on. That level of communication only happens after doing that for so long. So it's, it's going to be a new challenge of working with, with a new team structure, new staff, not, I shouldn't say a new challenge, new challenge. It's a new opportunity to learn how to communicate with people and to, to form those relationships and to have new teammates. Yeah. I did that the same transition you guys are going through, you know, just a, a year earlier, yeah. uh, or t- technically two years earlier. And I, I have to say it wasn't easy. It really wasn't. I mean, like going from that program to a wonderful program. I mean, I was on Steve Tilford foundation. It was just, a, it was, it was a really incredible experience, but going to a program that is coming from the ground up as opposed to being very established, it, it does, it really does require quite a bit of, kind of perspective shift and shift in the amount of work that you do reestablishing those relationships. You know, I think that especially on a smaller program, you know, Tilford might have a big roster, but I think, you know, in terms of staff, it's, it's relatively bare bones and they're great, great people and great workers and incredible, you know, incredible mechanics, et cetera. But just building up that relationship again takes some time. You know, but if I were to offer any advice, I'd say, really work on building the relationship up with that staff and, and creating those communication networks because not everybody works the same as Mike and not everyone works the same as Gary yeah. and et cetera, et cetera. Right. right. And programs work differently. You know, the roles that those mechanics have, you know, they might not have the, I am a mechanic. That's what I do. You know, I don't drive the bus. I don't do this. You know, I'm not your physio, et cetera. You know, that changes when you get onto a smaller program, you rely on them so much more. One thing that I really found, was awesome which was working with chris mcgovern as my mechanic on or all of our mechanics on on steve chilford was drew Eshrick was was fantastic too but chris being a coach and being a, a good a really good cyclocross coach you know he's he's one of my my co-workers now at forever endurance and the amount that i learned about coaching from him coaching me day to day you know just like not that he was my coach necessarily but like the way i've naturally fit into his coaching role mm-hmm. Mm. as like just being a part of the team you know i saw all this like compassion and stuff that he was able to bring to it and like understanding and i was like oh man okay cool he yeah he's actually expanding my my horizon on this a little bit and you know the way i interact with people so in a in a way like moving to a new program is this really really cool way if you have an open mind of learning to interact with the rest of the world and, and your career you know it's a great opportunity to, to grow right hope, that's something that's really that. Yeah, that, that's something that's really interesting that I didn't think about up to now. Whereas, I mean, someone like Chris, who, yes, he's in the pits, but he's also, he he brings a, a different set of eyes almost or a different sure. perspective to these races where he is able to to pay attention to the minute details of who's fumbling where, where the strengths and weaknesses, who's able to react well. On top of that, the mechanical knowledge to dial yeah. everything in before the race or during. It, it just, that that's... Like you said, I think it's a tremendous opportunity, and I think it coming into a new program like that, I mean, especially still being a young athlete, Lizzie and I are both young athletes, that there's nothing but just you know keeping an open mind and trying to learn from as much as we can from the the folks around us. that's as you said, it's it's not a challenge, it's an opportunity for sure yeah. uh, I, have, I have a question, Curtis. Yes. Uh, wait, so Lizzie, this is your what year are you twenty three? Second. Second year U23. Yeah. Curtis, as a former U23 rider and now mm-hmm. rider, going into this as teammates again, 
Like mm-hmm. what kind of, I don't know, what kind of advice would you give Lizzie in terms of like how to kind of approach learning as a U23 and using those races to kind of build into her, her future? Genuinely curious here. <laughs> hmm. Good, great question, Stephen. <laughs> that's, a, that's a really loaded question. <laughs> it, it, I think it's a really interesting, well, it's something that I always found very interesting is that in the men's races, the juniors have mostly been separate. And this is something that's been very recent where the, ju- the junior men have always been separate. And your first year under 23 has been this baptism by fire. You're starting on the last row and you're, you know, the first two, three years as an under 23 on the men's side is some of the most difficult years, just because it's, you know, you're, you're almost starting from scratch, but I, I'm, kind of curious to get Lizzie's perspective where uh, as a junior, you are racing the elites, right? Cause it's, I mean, well, only they rec- have a, yeah. like now recently they've, they've had mm-hmm. the junior women's category separated, which is awesome to, to have that, that structure yeah. and to kind of separate because it's, it was pretty intimidating at times to be 19 and starting at the back of these fields and going against giants of the sport at the time, but to be 17 mm-hmm. doing that, you know, I, no, there's so much growth between 16, 17 and 19. 16. Oh, <laughs> like my first time going over to Europe was 2019. Winter of 2019, I want to say. Yeah. Yeah. Because that was Switzerland. That was the first year they had the junior world championships for the women. Right. So That's I wild. fly over there. I fly over there. And my first race is Namor. Mm-hmm. Like, ever, like everyone's usually the first race. Yeah. That's fine. Totally so normal race. It was like 40, yeah. 45 <laughs> degrees and pouring rain. Anna K pulled out because she got hypothermia. I was 16 years old. There were 100 elite women. I line up next to like Lucinda Brand, like all the best women in the entire world. And I raced my bike. Talk about a character. <laughs> Talk about experience. baptism by fire. Person. Yeah, no, no problem like, there. Only yeah, because Eric Eric Tonkin was over there that year as um as I guess like a like similar to kind of the role that you you do yeah. Stephen yeah, with coaching. like just coaching, mm-hmm. and I created a really really close relationship with him because I just felt like he was very personable and just like a a really good like humble individual that is just full of knowledge but will not really give you a lot unless you ask for it, and so I made him pre ride with me, and that helped me so much honestly. Mm-hmm. And it was, I mean, I'm sure you guys can both kind of remember the feeling of pre-riding your first time in Europe and kind of feeling like you didn't necessarily belong there. It's a, I, I felt like it was a really intimidating setting, especially being 16 years old. And yeah. I kind of just had to convince myself of like, you can do this. Like you can ride a course like this. Your technical abilities are just as good as some of the best women in the entire world. You're just young. And so that was a really, honestly, I felt like it was a really powerful, powerful trip. And the pre-ride for me, was more intimidating than doing the actual racing. And so I, I feel really grateful that they've now separated the juniors out from the elites. Cause I think it's, it's nice to have an equal playing field for the men and the women in the European cyclocross scene and just in the world in general. But I think that there's always positives in situations like that. I mean, I was the, I was the last generation to get to do that. To get mm-hmm. to throw myself into the world of European cyclocross, and I mean, I had great, I had amazing success that year over in Europe. I mean, La, Maddie and I both won. I think we only did two Helen Wyman mm-hmm. 100 races, and we won both of them. I mean, I won Lo and Hal, and she won Ball. So I mean, 
it's it works it's just mm-hmm. a different way of integrating into the the high level side of the sport so it was it was interesting and yes baptism by fire for sure <laughs> we we curtis and i were both there that year when you when you won loan out right yeah, that's that right wild. yeah yeah that was a yeah. while yeah, it was so cool. We were just like, what? <laughs> what just happened? <laughs> that was cool uh, because weren't we just hopping on the course for a pre-ride yeah. at that point and we saw yeah. the finish? No shot. Wow. Yeah, that, that, that <laughs> yeah was really I was cool. on the podium kidding, with Rico? I was on the podium with Femme Van Empel and Zoe Backstead. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. wild. Yeah, real deal. Yeah. Real that, on the podium. You were on top of the podium with us. Yeah. I was on top just, of the podium for sure. Yeah. Let's, let's be real here. That's really cool. Well, it's, I, I, I mean, Lizzie, that's, you know, that, yeah, that, that's really cool. So, I mean, just to bring it back to when Hyde's asking me what advice to give, I, I don't know if, I mean, my perspective is a little bit different, but it's, I mean, just for, for any young athlete coming up through the ranks, it's just, Hyde, I think you you touched on something really important, which is, you know, kind of that role between mentor, mentee. And even if you're not into it, the moment that you are in a teaching role or a teaching position, you gain a new perspective on how to pursue information, how to pursue knowledge or how to ask questions. Because even if something is simple as teaching someone how to dismount and remount, I haven't had to think about that in years. Right. And I've never had to explain it to anyone. I just do it. it. Just do it, right? It's just as simple, but it really isn't. So when someone asks a simple question like that and you actually have to break it down, it's helpful to internalize that and break down the steps. And it kind of solidifies your process a little bit more. But when it comes to more something a little bit more complicated, like how do you break down a race or how do you pace an effort or how do you have the patience, you know, to to finish a training block through or getting through tough periods of the season you know the mental side of sport it, it's very helpful to to have that perspective of a teaching role in some capacity so you have an appreciation for what it means to to ask questions and to to want to pursue that that's something that's taken me maybe a little longer than some people in my career just to kind of understand that that weight and gravity of you know it's okay to ask questions everywhere you go and kind of that idea of ubiquitous assimilation of just everywhere you go, you need to be asking questions, even if it's annoying. Pers- try to learn as much as you can for you, not for anyone else. Just mm-hmm. soak up as much as you can because the the amount of experience that the people around you have is, is tremendous. And like I, like you said earlier on, it's really beneficial to not be the fastest or the smartest person in the room. Yeah. That's where people are, I, I think, learn the most or gain the most. For sure. I mean, you know, just anecdotally, I mean, you know, I saw huge, I saw huge jumps in Curtis's career and his capabilities when he, when he did start to open up. I mean, just, you know, as like a young, young person coming in and he's been so talented for so long, he'd been racing longer than I had, you know, and then one day we had a, a conversation around drink mix, you know, it was just like, oh, what do you put in your, what do you put in your bottles on? Water. Oh, you ever use drink mix? No. Why not? I don't think I need it, <laughs> you know, and I, I hope you don't mind me saying that, but I thought it was just a really interesting thing where I was like, oh my God, he's indestructible. 
what if we added this thing in? <laughs> well, it, 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 <laughs> but it, I think it's something that it, it's very easy to see among young athletes where if you're very talented from a young age, it, it's very easy to not ask questions where you rely on your talent for mm -hmm. so long. And then you get to a period where everyone's just as good as you, but the people that are just as good as you have had to work harder. Then you have to really open your eyes and say, all right, I need to get my ass in gear and learn, you know, why do I need drink mix? You know, why do I need to up my salt intake or why do I need to focus on my recovery or get a three to one carb to protein ratio or whatever the, you know, these little minute details are, it's really important to, to always keep asking and always keep learning. Open mind. Seems like yes. Everyone, whether you use it or not, right? All of the details matter, just not to everybody and not all the time. Yep. That, that's yeah, it. I'm definitely looking forward to it. I'm a, I've always been a, a sponge when it comes to just having knowledge around me and asking questions. So I have no, no problem asking questions at all. So I'm definitely very excited and I love meeting new people. So I think it's going to be a pretty good, pretty good fit. Perhaps I call you sponge Liz square pants. Sponge Liz fine. Sponge Liz. SpongeBob <laughs> is my, sponge, SpongeBob is my childhood season. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So I, I now have a nickname for Lizzie. I can exploit. Good to know. <laughs> You're welcome. You're welcome. Curtis, what got you into the whole mindset of getting out there more with your In the Red podcast? Uh, how did that process start? I've talked to Tony Seiler before. We we did an episode mm -hmm. with him and Blaine and Chad from Steuben. Oh, cool. But how – what made you want to do that? Well, it was during the the first season with the pandemic. Europe or Belgium was really the only place in the world where you could race cyclocross. Thankfully, in Belgium – being a bike racer is an essential job, whereas anywhere else in the world, it's not. So we were able to, to get in and you know, we had a team and sponsors and partners that were willing to support that effort. And we made that investment for three months. We were one of the few or only Americans to be over in Europe competing. Oh, the only Americans racing at all. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is incredible. Like, I mean, to look back on that experience, it was probably one of the more difficult things to do in my career. I mean, when we travel over it's always difficult to to leave our, our families and our homes during the holidays and the new year. And it's just, it's, we always have that infrastructure. I mean, sometimes we can get 20 Americans in the Citadel complex and we're, you know, trying to train together. We have our routines and it's, it's manageable. And when all the, the shops are open, we go to our favorite coffee shops or restaurants and we can mix it, mix it up. But to be over there, maintain a very tight bubble, not going to our favorite coffee shops or restaurants or really very few other athletes to hang around. We made the commitment. We, we were really not even training with other athletes outside of our team because it was, we took that, our investment to go over there at that time was so big. And we, we just, we had to make sure we did it right to where, all right, we're going to keep the bubble tight. We're racing. We're going to go to the stores together and that's it. Or the, the grocery store and the races and that's it. And being one of the few Americans or, over there, it was, I felt like it was an opportunity to share that journey. So Tony Seller and I have known each other for a few years. He promoted the 30 bucks gravel series. It was a gravel series in Western New York up by the Finger Lakes for a few years. And he's run the Pack Chatter podcast uh, for a few years now. And it's just, it, we've had a friendship for, for a few years now. And it's just, it seemed like a very natural fit to while we were over there to start a podcast. You know, it was a 10 week series to, to talk with other racers. We were able to, you know, I brought on 
Clara and we were talking to other athletes like uh, Niels Vandeputta and Cameron Mason and a, a few others. And just to get the perspective of other racers over there to talk cyclocross at a World Cup level to, to go through the routines and share what it was like during that strange year. And then it just kind of snowballed into doing the podcast. We did it through the entire season last year. And then unfortunately, this past spring and summer, we've been a little bit lazier with it. We've only put out a few episodes following the road calendar, but it's it's been, you know, like I kind of was talking about earlier, a transition year where trying to figure out plans for the cyclocross season and then also having obligations and a road team to race with. It was great, but it's just kind of the podcasting is slowed down a little through the spring and summer, but that's kind of how it started. And I'm excited to continue it going into this season. Tony and I will be putting out episodes on a regular cadence following the cyclocross season and hopefully getting more guests on. So it's just, I mean, r relatively in this age of athletes in our role shifting from only being athletes and only being results driven people to now sharing stories and playing more of a, you know, a marketing and branding role. It's, I think it, it, it's a really neat outlet to, you know, to, to share stories and experiences through podcasting and, it, and it's relatively low effort. I'm not directing 10 minute videos or in doing the editing or the vlogging or anything like that, but it's, it, it's a neat bit of content to put out with a regular cadence. And I, I enjoy it. feel like I've been able to be a better public speaker or to, you know, a better communicator since doing the podcasting, just learning how to ask questions in a different way or engaging conversations or fill dead spaces and kind of ramble on probably like I'm doing now. And, you know, like I was doing <laughs> earlier in the podcast, but yeah, it's, it, it's, I've, I found it to be pretty neat. So it's, it's something that I do enjoy doing. I don't think I have any more questions. This was an awesome conversation, by the way. It is great. Great. Okay. So we always ask the same question at the end of the podcast. So Steven, Curtis, what currently gets you guys stoked on bikes? I'll let Curtis go first on this one. I was about to say, I'll let Steven go first. <laughs> okay. All right. This is complicated. Let's do it. I'm yeah. Gonna, I'm, this is actually, this is, this is not an easy one because mm -hmm. I have grown up with bikes as this really integral part of my life. Like it's, it's what I've done my whole life. You know, I didn't race necessarily like you guys had as, as youth, but it's mm -hmm. something that has completely consumed me my whole life one way or another. And I always said, you know, best case scenario or like my dream is that I, I leave the sport as, as a professional before I cross over the line of not liking bikes, right? That was a really important thing for me. I mean, it's very important that bikes become, you know, maintain this, this, this space in my life because it's, it's, it's just what's always brought me joy. I really love it. I think it's, a, it's yeah. And I got dangerously close to being on the other side of that line for so many reasons. I mean, the pandemic is hard. All the injuries I've had have just been so hard. The kind of trauma that comes with like trudging through all of that and trying to get to a race and keep your job and, you know, grow a family and do all these things, you know, it got really, really, really difficult. And to be honest, it's still very difficult. I, I do maintain that I love bikes. You know, I think I get a lot more joy now out of getting on my commuter bike you know, on a touring bike or even pop my BMX bike out and just ripping around for a minute, you know, until my back hurts. But I, I've also, you know, at 35, gotten to a place where like I'm in bad shape, you know, physically. And it's very difficult for me to maintain the kind of bike riding that I like to do. And also the, how I see bikes 
fitting into my life are much different now. Whereas before it was just something that consumed me because I wanted to do it all the time. Then it became a job and, you know, it very much became work to some degree, work that I really enjoyed, but also something that when I didn't want to do it, I still had to do it. <laughs> mm-hmm. And when you're dealing with a lot of injuries that just kind of seemingly continue to come up, you know, that gets super, super difficult and it weighs on you. And so I kind of had to like, when I retired, I was like, great, I'll be able to like ride bikes more now, you know, somehow. And it just wasn't the case and it was really difficult. And, you know, even I could probably count, you know, probably been like, I've probably done like 30 bike rides over the summer, you know, 30 or 40 bike rides, which is obviously substantially less than I had done in the past. And a lot of them under like an hour or 20 minutes or something like that, you know. A lot of times it's like just hopping on my bike with a camera and going around at like sunset and just like, you know, popping off some some shots on with, with good lighting. And so then I get hurt again. You know, I go out and for like a quick mountain bike ride and smash myself and spring my AC, my AC <laughs> joint. So I love bikes but it is getting increasingly more difficult to actually get on them <laughs> for me. <laughs> so I don't know. I, I guess I, I, all that to say that I'm still, I'm on a journey right now of figuring out what gets me stuff to get on my bike. <laughs> Maybe y'all can help me. Amazing. <laughs> Hi, Hyde, something that I've, I've yeah. found very interesting over the years is that it's, you know, we've talked about kind of your, your history and your journey through cycling. And it, it's, you know, from, an athlete who's gone through the normal development pipeline and then meeting someone like you who has a, you know, a a different perspective, a different introduction to the sport and kind of recognizing that there's multiple entryways into competing at a high level or just having a love for the bicycle is something that's really interesting. And just kind of recognizing that when you do, when you are racing at a professional level, it gets really, really difficult. Like there are days that it's, 45 degrees raining and you still need to get three hours with intervals or four hours on the bike. Like it just, the work needs to be done. And there have been points in both our careers where you just got to saddle up and go. And it is, I don't think I know anyone that says, Hey, this is, you know, there's no place I'd rather be than outside 45 degrees, pouring rain on the bike and freezing and doing intervals. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Just go hard at kid. But it's, it's very difficult, but I think we all need to kind of to, to have that healthy point to continue to to reach that level is we need to have something that we love to fall back on. You know, I, what you know, what about the bike do we absolutely love when when times are difficult, we re- can remind ourselves what do we love about the bike? Because it, it's just it's diff- like, you know, if everything you're doing is just oh, I got to do it or oh, I just got to do it or oh, I just got to you know stay on the grind. It's difficult, you know. Yeah, and you, there's only so much of that you can take. I don't know. For me, it's I, I I love competing. I love racing. I'm a very competitive person. But at the end of the day, I first got into riding bikes with the local club and riding with people. You know, wh- whether it's a front, you know, the, the friendly town line sprint or just being in groups and you're not fixated on I need to be hitting 230 watts for four hours and looking at your computer or hitting these marks. A lot of that's very important as an athlete. We spend a lot of time solo doing the work and getting it in but i love being able to to go on you know a ride with someone either i've met or haven't met and riding somewhere new 
that that's I think that's something really unique where you don't get that in other sports where it's a lot of other sports where you're spending a lot of time in the gym. You're doing very repeatable sets, but there's not a lot of that adventure side to the sport where we can very easily get our training and going somewhere new and experiencing something different. One saying that uh, is kind of like stoicism that has always like kept perspective for me. And it's, it's a little bit harsh sounding, but I think if you dig into it, it's actually really freeing is that you're only entitled to your labor and not the fruits of your labor. And I've always found that really powerful because, okay, you're, you're working as an athlete towards this goal of like, whatever you know a podium or like a win in some way right it's this recognition but like the reality is that you're not entitled to that whatsoever you can do everything right and at the end of the day not reach the result you want because of whatever thing you know luck <laughs> flat you know whatever it may be and so it's it's really imperative that as an athlete you find absolute love in the labor and you enjoy it for what it is because that's the thing that you're going to do 99.9% of the time. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for joining us today, guys. Any last words? That's it for me. I think we covered a lot. Yeah, yeah. that was great. Thanks a lot for having me. I appreciate it. And thanks yeah. for being patient with me. y'all. I, I really do appreciate it. Sorry about the last minute cancellation on the way to the, I was like, I got to text them. I'm on the way to the hospital. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. No, that We're just happy that you're, you're, you're okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're just, we're just gonna say hi really quick. Hi, Gigi. Hi. <laughs> you being loud? Cause you're loud. You got a big voice, just like that. Okay. <laughs> just wanted to say hi. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Stoke Don Spokes podcast. If you enjoyed it, please like, subscribe, rate us, and tell your friends about it. Check out our Patreon page for additional bonus content, and follow our Instagram and Facebook to stay up to date on all the things we are working on. Until next time. Just keep rolling.